When I was a kid, and maybe some of you kids in the room today can relate to this, I was super into Legos. And uh, actually, I'd say I'm probably kind of still into Legos. I just don't play with them as much anymore, right? And uh, is anybody else a Lego fan? Like kids or adults, no judgment. It says up to 99 on the boxes, right? So we can all raise our hands probably. Uh, Legos are awesome. And when I was a kid, I used to play with them all the time. And probably my favorite thing to do with Legos was to build my own stuff. Like my older brother and I specifically would always take just tons of different sets and pour them on the ground and my mom would be mad at us. But we would just build stuff, like no instructions. And my favorite thing, probably the coolest thing we ever built was this Apache helicopter. And uh, students in the room, maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but we had this helicopter and we loved it. No instructions again. It was super huge. It had a working like rotor and everything. It could fly. Not really. Uh, But it was still cool. Like we still loved it. We really put our hearts into this creation. And then this one day we're playing with it and we kind of left it over, over here in the room and we went and played with other stuff. And then my sister, my younger sister, walks in the room. And I remember this story in slow motion. She walks in and she's just got this look of chaos in her eyes. And my brother and I are over here and we're like, no, right? Like running over. And for whatever reason, my sister decides just to stomp our Apache helicopter. So (laughs) my brother and I are crying, right? We spent so much time into this. We're devastated. My sister just stepped on Legos. So she's crying. Everybody's crying. It's, It's a tragedy, And I tell this more lighthearted, kind of silly sibling drama story because this story in Genesis of Joseph, it's largely about sibling drama, only this time it's not so silly. This sibling drama is more intense. This story, it's not just about broken Legos, it's about a real-life broken family. And maybe some of us can relate to that, even just that statement, but we're going to see in this story a lot of brokenness, a lot of intense situations, but still how God can use those situations for his ultimate good. So look with me at our passage today, Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent him a message and saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because of the evil they did to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Here's our big idea for the message today. The, the one thing that if you walk out of here and go and you know, celebrate fireworks this week and you forget everything I said, the one thing I hope you remember, it's this, that God's good purposes will prevail no matter what. No matter what. 
And here's the thing. I know, even as I just say that statement, that there's probably some of you in here that are tensing up. Some of you in here that feel anxiety or maybe doubt or maybe cynicism kind of rising in your bodies and your minds. Because when we go through life and we encounter difficult circumstances, when things happen to us and we don't understand why they happen, why they're so challenging, lots of times statements like no matter what can turn into there's no way. There's no way that with what was done to me, I could ever see God's good purposes prevail. Or maybe there's, there's no way that with what I did that God could still use me. There's no way. And and I know for myself, if I was being honest, those kind of statements, the no way, there's no way statements, they pop up in my heart and mind a lot. And I have to center myself in the truth of God's word to be able to keep going, to be able to say no matter what. So today, I hope this morning we can actually be honest with what bubbles up when I say a big, bombastic truth statement like that. Like, God's good purposes will prevail no matter what. What what comes up in your heart that kind of goes against that? What comes up that you're like, really? And I'd encourage you just to be honest with yourself about that as we look at this story. Because I think this story It's the story of many, like a series of difficult, hard events in a person's life, but how each of those events ultimately work together to accomplish God's good. So let's look at this story as we go to this main passage in in verse 15 of chapter 50. We see it starts right with Joseph's brothers, so this sibling, this group of siblings, and they admit that they've done evil to Joseph. That's the the drama we are talking about. They they have done an evil thing to Joseph. And so starting there with that evil, what we're going to do today is just really quickly, if you're familiar with the book of Joseph, it's a big story, but we're going to quickly go through these key difficult situations, three situations where Joseph probably would have felt, man, God, there's no way you could still turn this around. And we're going to look at those and see what is God showing us what, what can we apply to our lives today that could actually encourage us in the midst of our difficult circumstances? So the first one we see Joseph go through, you can turn back if you want to Genesis 37. We see that he's betrayed. In chapter 37, starting in verse 3, kind of some background to the very beginning of Joseph's story, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he, Joseph, was the son of his old age. And he made him, Joseph, a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So we see in this, the very beginning that Joseph, when he was young, he was favored. He's probably about 17 years old at the beginning of his story. And his father, Jacob, or it says Israel here, Jacob is the the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham for some context. So this, this story is really right at the beginning of the story of God's chosen people from the Old Testament, the Israelites. And Jacob, Joseph's father, is the one who God gives the name Israel. And the 12 brothers go on to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So Joseph is one of the 12, and he's actually the second youngest, yet he is favored. And there's, there's all kinds of reasons for, for why he's favored. There's a lot of, I think, broken family dynamics that you can read about more. But Joseph has this place of honor. He has this fancy coat. He has this, this extra special role. He goes just to kind of check on the work his brothers are doing, you see earlier in the passage. And so we see that Joseph's brothers, they hate him. They can't stand him. It says they couldn't even speak a kind word to him. Yet we see Joseph is either kind of oblivious to that or he kind of wants to rub it in because it says he has this dream and when he tells his brothers the dream, they hate him even more. And you see, if you keep reading, the dream is basically that Joseph has this vision of his brothers all bowing down to him. And they're like, come on, man, we practically already do that. He has this another dream and he tells it to him again and it's even more infuriating and the brothers kind of hit their breaking point. We see as the story goes on that they actually conspire to kill their brother. They're so angry. They're so frustrated that they want to take it out with violence. And there's a situation where Joseph goes and meets them in the field and the oldest brother kind of talks him down and they don't end up killing him. They just end up selling him into slavery. And I don't know like about you guys, but like I got mad at my sister for breaking my helicopter. I've never thought, oh, I'm going to sell my siblings into slavery. Like that's a little intense, but that's what happens. And that's the betrayal that Joseph goes through. This first difficult situation is he is betrayed by his siblings. And he had, you know, some, I think maybe pride, some arrogance that he was dealing with himself But his brothers take their anger and their hatred and they act it out in this really egregious way. And I don't know if any of us can relate directly to this because it is so intense. And that's actually like not to say that sadly this kind of stuff, the actual situation does still happen in our world today, like through human trafficking. But for us, most of us, we can at least, I think, relate to the feeling of being betrayed. And maybe a lot of us have been betrayed in different ways. When the people who are supposed to have our backs turn their backs on us. And we feel abandoned, alone. We don't know what to do. Maybe we're in a new place and we have no idea where we're going to go. That's how Joseph's story really gets going. The first difficult situation he finds himself in. He is betrayed. But look at what happens as the story goes on. In chapter 39, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master." When his brothers betrayed him and and sold him to slavery, when he was all alone, it seemed like there was was no direction. He He was a slave. He was in this new foreign place. God was still with him there. Joseph was betrayed, but God didn't leave him. He was cast out, abandoned, but God was there with him, even in the midst of that. So Joseph is betrayed and he's, he's brought to Egypt and we see that he still is with God. And, and what happens as the story goes on is he's actually able to, in this house 
where he was sold as a slave, God through his presence is able to enable Joseph to have some success, to, to work his way up in kind of the, the house and he's able to manage the house. Eventually he's like the second in command of this whole establishment. And he's kind of running things for his master. But that's the situation where we find Joseph encounter his second difficult scenario, and that's that Joseph was accused. Joseph was accused. And so what happens is in the midst of Joseph kind of running the house and having some success, the wife of his master kind of starts to find Joseph attractive. And the wife kind of consistently, it says in scripture, day after day, Potiphar's wife is trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. And I don't mean just cuddling. Potiphar's wife is going after Joseph and Joseph actually does the right thing. He continues to refuse her advances. He continues to say, no, I'm not going to do this injustice against my master and against God. But eventually uh, it gets to be so intense that he literally has to run out of the house Teenagers take notes, just just run away. Uh, and he runs out of the house and Potiphar's wife actually grabbed his, his like coat, his shirt. And so she ends up, I think out of like anger, um, she ends up spinning the story and tells her husband that, hey, this, this uh, Israelite, this, this Joseph guy, he was actually trying to force himself on me. So she tells this to her husband and it says in, Chapter 39, verse 19, as soon as his master Potiphar heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he, Joseph, was there in prison. So Joseph is sold into slavery He's brought to Egypt. He's actually able to find some success because God is with him. But now he's in prison for something he didn't even do. In fact, for doing the right thing, for trying to be faithful, for trying to stay pure and obedient. And man, I can just see Joseph in this situation feeling so discouraged. Have you ever felt discouraged, maybe like Joseph did, when you feel like you're trying as hard as you can to do what's right, but you keep getting punished for it. Like you're trying to stay faithful to God, but the world keeps shoving you down. I think maybe a harsh reality that we see from this passage, and I think we see in our world all the time, is sometimes that's how it works. Like maybe oftentimes that's how it works. When we're trying to be faithful to God in a world that is not faithful to God, lots of times our faithfulness and obedience and following Jesus leads us to be hurt by the world, be shoved down by the systems of the world, by people of the world. But man, that is hard. It's hard to go through that, especially when you're trying to do what's right and you feel like you're just getting more stuck. You can't find success. You can't find a path for your life. Have you ever felt that way? Joseph was betrayed, he was sold, he's in prison now. But look at what happens in the next verse. Look at what is going on in the midst of that situation. Verse 21 of chapter 39. But the Lord, but God was with Joseph in prison and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of 
the prison. Even when Joseph was, was abandoned, when he was shoved down, when he's stuck in prison, when everybody and everyone turned their back on him or accused him of something he didn't do, God was with him. And, and there's a quick question that I want to ask you all is that, are you willing to go through hardship in life if it means being faithful to God? Are you willing to be in the prison but with God, instead of just following whatever passion or pleasure or worldly success that you could achieve by being unfaithful to God and disobedient from what he's called you to do. Because you can do that. Joseph could have slept with Potiphar's wife. He chose to be faithful. It put him in prison, but God was in prison with him. I think we can learn from that in our lives. As Joseph's story goes on, remember, this is only uh, difficult situation number two. There's, there's more to come. He is in the prison. He is, has this kind of similar trajectory to what he had in Potiphar's house. He's able to continue being faithful. God is with him, and he works his way up. He's, he's doing a lot. He's managing kind of like what's happening in the prison. He's helping. He kind of finds himself again in this second-in-command type role underneath the prison master. And as the story goes on, we see that there's this situation where um, Pharaoh, his cupbearer, and his baker. So Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has tons of people serving him, right? And he's got these two guys, the cupbearer and the baker, who for some reason, Pharaoh gets mad at them. They probably gave him some bad wine or a bad meal or whatever. And Pharaoh throws them into prison. And so Joseph is in the same prison as these two guys, and that's where we reach the third difficult situation in Joseph's life, Joseph is forgotten. He's forgotten. What happens in prison is these two guys both have dreams. And if you remember from the beginning of the story, Joseph kind of knows about dreams, right? And he says, hey, God could show, show you through me what's going on with these dreams. So, so Joseph, with God's strength, is able to interpret these guys' dreams. And basically, he says, for the baker, sorry, it's not going to go too well for you. But for the cupbearer, you're going to be restored to your position. Pharaoh is going to put you back where you were to this, this trusted place right by his side. It's going to go well for you. And, and Joseph says in chapter 40, verse 14, only remember me. Remember me when it's well with you. And, and hey, could you mention me to Pharaoh? Like, I'm in here. I didn't even do anything wrong. I'm away from my family. Just remember me. But look at in the end of chapter 40, verse 23, it says, so before that, the cupbearer gets reinstated. Joseph's uh, prophecy comes true. And then it says in verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And, and look at the very next verse in 41, verse 1, after two whole years. The story just straight up pauses for two years. And, and we're reminded by this, this verse that we've been flipping through pages kind of quickly today, especially, but these pages represent years of Joseph's life. It's probably been a decade or more since Joseph was betrayed and sold into slavery and accused and thrown into prison. There's been so much time that has passed. And through this time, right, he's, he's had these hills and valleys. He's, he's been able to rise up, but then he's thrown in prison. And now he's been able to rise up in the prison. 
and he has this opportunity, this golden opportunity. Man, the cupbearer of the king is right here, and God showed me that he's going to be reinstated. And he says, just remember me, man, just remember me. But he forgets him. And nothing happens. We don't have anything in the story for two years. Have you ever felt like, God, when are you going to pick my story back up? When is the next chapter going to come? How long do I have to wait? I've been going through all this. I've been trying to be faithful. I've been trying to keep going, but it just feels like nothing is happening. This for me, I think, is the most despairing part of the story, where where if I was in Joseph's shoes, I think I would maybe have given up because there's just this gap of nothing happening And I can just imagine feeling so hopeless in his shoes. After all of this pain and hardship, he finds himself alone. But that's not the end of the story. It keeps going. And what we see in the rest of chapter 41 is this kind of crazy sequence of events where Pharaoh now, the king of Egypt, is the one who has dreams. And he doesn't know what they are. He's confused by the dreams. And finally, the cupbearer is like, man, I should have remembered this two years ago. There's this guy named Joseph who can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh is like, okay, bring this guy up. So after two whole years, Joseph is still there. And presumably he's still kind of managing the prison. He's not down in the dumps, but he's brought up to Pharaoh and he is given this opportunity to hear the dreams and interpret them, to let God interpret the dreams through him. And Joseph is able to do this. And he says in chapter 41, verse 29, he's saying, this is what your dreams are about, Pharaoh. He says, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. So Joseph predicts what's going to happen in these next 14 years, and he tells Pharaoh, hey, you know, this is what you should probably do. You should get somebody who's really smart, really wise, and have them save up enough food over these seven years of plenty so that over the seven years of famine, we can all survive. And what we see in in the next part of the story after this is that through all the brokenness all the pain, all of the being forgotten and accused and betrayed, Joseph finds himself in the right place at the right time to be used by God for his good purposes. Look at what Pharaoh says in response to Joseph's idea. It says in verse 37, chapter 41, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt." Joseph was in the right place at the right time to be used by God for his good purposes. Through all of the messiness, through all of the times where he could have given up, Joseph is right where he needed to be. 
And we see as the story goes on that this famine does happen. And, and the guy who was in the prison is now the image of Pharaoh, the, his right-hand man, the second in command, not of a house or not of a prison, but the entire nation. And in fact, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. He is in charge and he's able to manage and delegate all of these different ways to save food so that when the famine does hit, and it does, they're not going to die. And so this famine strikes and all the people all around are dealing with starvation and Joseph's family is part of that. And so what we see is Joseph's brothers, the ones who betrayed him, they actually have to go to Egypt and ask for food to survive. And Joseph is the one who's able to save them. And there's a lot more depth to this part of the story that hopefully you guys can go read or we can look at another time. But for today, basically what happens is Joseph welcomes them back in after kind of testing them and seeing where their hearts are at. And they all come to Egypt and they're able to live and survive this famine. And Jacob, their father, lives his final days in Egypt. And so that's where we come back to our main passage for today in chapter 50. And we see that once Jacob, their father, dies, his brothers start to get worried, right? They're like, man, we're the ones who put him here. Like, I know he's doing well now, but we sold him into slavery. Maybe he's going to take his revenge. And there's this fascinating little verse in chapter 50, verse 17, where it says, Joseph wept. I think he's, he's processing all the pain. And then when they say, it says they fell down and bowed before him and Joseph has all the opportunity in the world, all the power. He's the second in command. He could have just been like, these guys execute them. Like they did evil to me. He wouldn't even have to explain it. He had that much power. But he says in verse 19, am I in the place of God? And it's so interesting because I think practically he kind of is in the place of God. He could have exacted judgment. He could have had his way. Nobody would have told him otherwise. But Joseph restrains himself. He, he weeps, he processes, and he offers forgiveness. Joseph, I think, breaks the cycle of brokenness by not taking revenge. So in this story, and as we get to this, this final verse in, in our passage, this, I think, key verse for this story and I think the book of Genesis, maybe even more, verse 20, where where Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I think this verse, it is so significant because it describes this incredible reality that God can work through our stories, through the hard parts, through the brokenness, through the evil to accomplish his good. And I love this story because it's so encouraging. We can look at it and line it up against our lives and be like, I've felt that way, but look at what God can do. But even more than that encouragement we get from the story, I love Joseph's life and what it points us to because I think it points us to an even greater story. It points us to someone who also was betrayed by his people, who also was accused for something he wasn't guilty of. And this time wasn't just sold into slavery, but was condemned to death. 
the only perfect person we ever see in the Bible, the only perfect person to ever live, the only person who never sinned, who was truly blameless and innocent, hung on a cross. Jesus Christ on the cross is, I think, the most evil, twisted, broken, backwards, unjust thing that ever happened in history. The only perfect person condemned to die a brutal death. But God intended it for good to bring about not just the saving of a bunch of people from a famine, but the saving of all people across all time from sin and death and eternal separation from God. This is the gospel that God takes what we do and it's evil and it's messed up and what happens and it's hard and broken. He takes all of it and he brings it together for good. That's what God does. That's the kind of God we believe in. And I I hope that we can be encouraged by the story and how it points us to the ultimate story. That's how God works. That's who he is. He can work through you too, just like he did with Joseph, just like he did on the cross. He can work through your story. For me, I've seen God work in so many different ways through the ups and downs of life, particularly as I was preparing for this. I just, God brought me to this reality of, what I thought I wanted to do with life. It went through so many different versions and ups and downs. I thought I was going to be all about sports. I thought I was going to be this, you know, soccer player. And I was going to go to this school in Florida where I'm from and get this scholarship and it was going to be awesome. But then that all fell apart. And I ended up going on this Discover GCU trip, this school in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know anything about. And uh, God, through this, like, upside down turning of my life. And I came out here, I was still trying to play soccer, actually. I was trying, I was going to walk on the team at GCU. And God, that's when he opened my eyes to ministry. And he was like, nope, this is what I want you to do. And I met this guy named AC and the rest was history. Um, (laughs) Or so I thought, right? Because getting into ministry actually was hard too. And staying in ministry was even harder. Like I've been through these seasons of life now since getting into ministry and through COVID and losing a job and being in this in-between and it was incredibly hard. But then there was this little situation and it's what God brought me as I was preparing for this to share that I, when I was without a job in ministry, I was able to step into this assistant coaching soccer, assistant soccer coaching position. And then God brought me to PBC and it's amazing, praise the Lord, how he worked it all together. But through this assistant soccer coaching position, I met this guy named Brody, this student named Brody. And Brody, when I first invited him to youth group, because, you know, of course I'm going to invite him to youth group, he told me, and I quote, nah, I don't like church. If you were to fast forward through the rest of Brody's story over the past several months, you would see him come to youth group every single Wednesday, help me set up, come to summer camp, respond to the gospel and pray with me, come serve at VBS and text me last week that he wants to get baptized. It's amazing what God can do with just like, hey, come to youth group. But here's the thing, guys, listen, I would have never met Brody if I didn't think my life was going to be all about soccer. And then that crashed and burned and it was hard and horrible. And then God was like, nope, it's not that, it's ministry. And then what I thought was going to be the easy path in ministry crashed and burned and it was horrible and hard. And I felt all this betrayal, accusation, forgottenness of my own. 
But then God opens up this door that I thought was just like, okay, cool, I'll coach soccer. And I meet a student who now knows Jesus. Like, that's what God can do. That's what God can do in your story too. When you feel forgotten, remember that God never forgets you. When you feel betrayed, remember that God's never going to betray you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Like it says in scripture and Hebrews and Deuteronomy and Joshua, when you feel accused, remember that because of Jesus, you are declared righteous and free, not accused and imprisoned. That's what we're celebrating, this freedom in Christ. And so as we close today, I just want to give you three quick things that you can apply to your life that I think can help as we work through everything that we struggle with, all the difficult situations, and try to see God's perspective. The first is, is work in the waiting and persevere through the pain. Joseph learned these practical skills that God was able to use later, just like me with soccer. God was able to use it later for his good purposes. Number two, take action when the opportunity arises. Be ready for when the story picks up again. Step into what God is asking you to do. And number three is understand how God works. That oftentimes this is what he does. He takes the horrible, the hard, the broken, and works it together for good. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, but that's the kind of God he is. He takes it all together. So don't try to take revenge for yourself. Do what Joseph did. Process and show forgiveness as you've been forgiven by Jesus. That's what we're doing as we take communion in just a moment. We're processing that, man, we all fall short of God's glory, but he can still work it all together for good. He's forgiven me so I can forgive others. I can stop the cycle of brokenness. I don't have to just see this go over and over again throughout the generations. I can say, no, I'm not going to keep it going. I'm going to trust that God is good. He meant it all for good. So as we close, we're going to have our prayer team down front. If you need help processing, if you need help seeing God's good purposes when it feels like you can't see them, you can go pray. We have discussion questions in our bulletin that hopefully will help you process throughout the week. And let me just pray for us as we close this time in God's word. Jesus, thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you that you do work all things together for good, even when we can't see it, even when it seems like there's no possible way that what we're going through could result in something that gives you glory, that we get to see who you are through. But God, that's who you are. That's what you do. So help us to just trust that, to rest in that this week, to, to accept the forgiveness that you give us and to show it to others around us. Even maybe to our, our family that's hurt us, to our friends, to the people that we thought would be there for us but turn their back on us. God, help us just to give it all to you because you can carry it all. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you do work it all out for good. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen.